Are you ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of the Around the CFL podcast. Anthony here with you again for another one. And today we are going to be talking about something a little bit touchy and it may be triggering for some listeners. But today we will be talking about mental health. We have a very special guest, so we'll be right back and we'll jump right into it. This week, we tackle something very important to me, mental health. In Canada, 12 people die by suicide each day. It is three times higher among men, according to Canada.ca, and is the second highest cause of death amongst youths and young adults. Today's guest is an advocate for mental health. He is a two-time Grey Cup champion, CFL All-Star, founder of the Well Men Project, and an overall just great human being. Shay Emery, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. So uh, you're from Richmond, BC, right? Um, where did football start for you? Yes, uh, born and raised in Richmond, BC. Uh, I went to Vancouver College. Uh, my dad coached football there. My uncles went there. Uh, my grandfather was a booster there. You know, we were all about, uh, you know, the fighting Irish, and uh, uh, which is the mascot for Vancouver College out here in Vancouver. And uh, when I was in eighth grade, uh, I had the opportunity to step on the football field for the first time. Uh, my mom thought it was too dangerous to play hockey when I was a kid. So I did. I played track and field, uh, volleyball, uh, basketball, soccer, uh, and really uh, was able to finally step on the field and figure out how to get punched in the face uh, <laughs> when I was turned, uh, whatever, 12 years old and uh, in eighth grade and had, had a blast doing it. You played three seasons in the NCAA at Eastern Washington. So how did you end up at UBC? Yeah, so I got a full ride down to Eastern Washington. My high school football coach, Todd Burnett, uh, out here in BC, uh, played at Eastern Washington. And we were able to go down to all the University of Washington football camps and Eastern Washington football camps and gave me a little bit of exposure there. Uh, I was playing quarterback in high school and then transitioned to playing linebacker, uh, played uh, three seasons down there, uh, or sorry, played two seasons, but I was down there for three years and uh, really learned how to uh, work hard and learned how to tackle, learned how to hit. And really after the two seasons down there, uh, I realized that I was figuring out what was going on within myself uh, and, uh, came to the conclusion that I needed to get out of Dodge and uh, deal with what was happening within myself, uh, which ended up being uh, dealing with some trauma and some uh, depression. And uh, really uh, what took place is I called some friends and family, one who was playing at UBC at the time, and uh, ended up transferring back to UBC, moving back home with my parents. And uh, it was definitely the best thing for me to be able to uh, navigate that conversation within myself uh, and within my family uh, before inevitably, you know, sharing that once, uh, uh, you know, I played in the CFL for four years and was able to kind of gain the confidence to recognize I needed to conversate about that on a, on a grander scale and tell my team and my, my friends and my family and really deal with it. So you mentioned, you know, you were dealing with some depression and stuff back in college. You were drafted in the first round, seventh overall by the Montreal Alouettes in 2008. 
you know, with that depression and stuff, like what were some of the pressures that were going on, I guess, in college football life and with yourself leading up to that draft? I really think that the best part about me transferring back to play at UBC was that I was able to recognize that I wasn't superhuman. When I was playing football down south, I really learned how to work hard and I learned how to lift and train and, uh, you know, that uh, there are going to be tough times in your life. And, you know, looking back on it, I wish I could have had a second chance at, you know, staying and enduring and persevering through what was a very difficult time for me. But, you know, that was a decision that I made and it, it inevitably made it easier and a closer experience for me to get into the CFL. I, I played one season at UBC, got drafted and then left. And uh, it was really uh, a blessing in disguise because I got drafted to Montreal. We were good. It was Anthony Calvillo's heyday with with Ben Cahoon and all the boys and uh, and really was just blessed to be able to be in a positive situation for for me to be able to learn how to play uh, football on, in the professional level and, and inevitably just end up having a lot of fun. So, you know, you won two Grey Cup championships and you won a number of personal awards as a really amazing linebacker. Uh, when the concussion happened, what was going through your mind at that point? Really, what was going through my mind is that I didn't know what a concussion was. <laughs> the The rhetoric around concussions and, you know, getting your bell rung and all those sorts of things was kind of swept under the rug. Uh, you know, my favorite movie growing up was uh, NFL Football Follies, which was essentially just guys getting smashed <laughs> and, uh, you know, with funny music around it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I was playing football, I, I, I was never in a position to really get hurt or injured. And uh, I was I was always able to keep myself on the field. And so I played a lot of football and then when – the concussion ended up happening. That's when Rick Rippin, Derek Bugard, and Wade Belak all ended up taking their lives as enforcers in the NHL. Mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, you know, maybe three, four, six months later, somewhere in there, uh, Junior Seau in the NFL ended up taking his life. And I really, I really associated myself with that sort of enforcer mentality as a middle linebacker on the football field, and that scared me. You know, it scared me to be you know, in the middle of my professional football career, in the depths of the, of a concussion, going through a depression, a depression whilst dealing with potentially not playing football again, you know, the reality of, of me personally going on even further and seeing what could happen as these other gentlemen had taken their lives. Uh, so it was very frightening, uh, but I wasn't, I wasn't quite ready to step away and, and move on to, whatever was next. And, and I really felt like I had more to, to do on the field uh, and more to give. And uh, so I got back on the field and ended up uh, playing four more years and uh, definitely uh, had to deal with uh, what came with that, with, uh, you know, dealing with head trauma and uh, the awareness around that. And that's really what uh, inevitably took, uh, took my career. And, and, uh, you know, I played seven point, one five games or 7.15 <laughs> years and and uh eight years uh in the league and really uh 
you know, the last three were me dealing with that uh, intense anxiety around what was I doing with my my brain health, my mental health, and and recognizing that I already had this predisposition with mental health that I really needed to take this smarter approach and, and step away from the game uh, at the age of 28. You had mentioned that you had the pre-existing mental health concerns back in college. When the concussion happened, did you feel like that heightened the mental health concerns that you were having? Like, do you believe that there was a connection between the head injury and the mental health? I mean, I, I think what was really made the mental health increasingly more difficult at that point in time was the lack of future and identity that I, I, that was uncertain for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what made the the mental health aspect uh, more dangerous in that situation. Right. And it was scarier because I didn't know who I was outside the lines of a football field. I didn't know what I was going to do for a living. I had had a child at that point in time already uh, my son, who's now turning nine. Uh, and so, you know, wrap that all up in a bow with, hey, we just need you to stay at home in a dark room and not read and not connect with your friends and not socialize and not work out. Uh, you know, put that all together in a, in a big package. And it was a very difficult situation. And I think that's why uh, the approach to concussion protocol, uh, you know, is very sensitive subject, because if you send someone who's used to exerting and and ventilating that 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 experience on a regular basis, and you tell them to not do any of the things they love, it's uh, it's a recipe for disaster, as we've seen uh, so many times. Yeah, the effects of concussions are still vast, and there's still studies going on surrounding the subject. Uh, there was that movie Concussion with Will Smith. I felt like you know just from like an outsider that they did a really good job. What did you do when you realized like your when you ended your career? And you said that, you know, you were starting to wonder, what am I going to do? So what did you do at that point when you knew the career is done? Yeah, my my wife at the time asked me uh, what I was passionate about. Mm-hmm. And the answer I had was I liked boats. I didn't really know <laughs> uh, what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to give back to my community and and uh, since 2011 to 2015, after my first big concussion, when I became more aware, uh, I started to speak at the Together at School program for the Montreal Alouettes, really started to realize I, I liked uh, being in front of uh, the community and, and giving back in that way. Uh, and I realized that, you know, what I was doing within the school program was just not quite as authentic and as action-based as I liked, or as I wanted to see what my community involvement was going to be. So I founded an organization called Wellman, as you alluded to at the the start of the podcast. And uh, essentially, all I wanted to do was get guys outside of their comfort zone through activities so they could have conversations around their human experiences, what's going on for you, uh, how are you doing, uh, and really be a catalyst for their health and well-being journey, not necessarily, you know, be a service provider for mental health, more so hey, we're a community of gentlemen that want to have conversations that are open around uh, what's going on for them and, and really just be, a, uh, you know, a brotherhood of, of dudes that are, you know, trying to be better dudes. I love that. As a professional athlete, what impact did all of this have on, you know, family, friends, relationships? 
Oh, that's a freaking question and a half, bro. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, for me, right out of football, I, you know, I had a lot of lust. I was like, let's get it. Let's do this. You know, I was, uh, you know, still in the, in the game and I was doing a lot of public speaking and I, and I really had some, some runway financially to, uh, to move into a couple different areas. Yeah, I was a, like I said, I was a young father and expecting a second child. So there, therein lies an, an increased uh, amount of responsibility, you know, there, and the stress that comes with that. Uh, and, you know, I didn't really handle it very well. I'll mm-hmm. just say that, you know, I was like, for me, I was, I was trying to do all of these different things and, I really just didn't have very much confidence again outside the football field. And, um, you know, I really, uh, you know, I, I relied on my relationship with my parents, uh, which I had to navigate and change. Um, but, you know, really what took place was a uh, complete 180, 360, 540, whatever you want to call it, that uh, essentially I tried to craft a, a new human mm-hmm. and um i always talk about this within men's health uh you know what's taken place is you know when i started to do these men's retreats it wasn't really palatable for men to think oh i'm gonna go to this men's night or this men's thing it was that wasn't a thing back then you know 10 years ago and now there are so many men's nights and men's groups and you know men's retreats and it's very approachable for dudes to kind of say that they're going to do that and and go and do it and feel comfortable doing it uh and so i really tried to do more you know soul searching more yoga more breath work more you know uh not as much heavy lifting not as much you know alpha you know man up stuff right mm-hmm. it was yeah. like i got to connect with you know my inner you know this that and the other thing and really what took place is I forgot who I was I forgot what got me there the character the the experiences the exercises that really form uh, formed the person that I was at that point in time and so recently I've just kind of reconnected with that that hyper masculine male who likes to lift weights and and be loud and and really ventilate in a way that's you know may or may not be approachable for other people but that's who i am and i love that and so i'm really swinging back to that side of the fence and it's really enjoyable because i feel like a kid again or at least a 22 year old kid (laughs) and i'm and i'm having a lot of fun with uh you know a couple of my lifting partners and old training buddies and you know we're having some competitions and really just uh trying to reconnect with that that part of who I am, uh, which I definitely forgot about just trying to appease everyone else's perspective and what was happening in society. And, and really that's where I feel like I'm, I'm being called to be most, which is like be yourself so that you can support the other men in your community that require that. Do you think that there's still a stigma around football players and admitting that they're struggling in mental health? I believe that when you talk about language in the men's space, that there's always going to be a stigma associated to men and requiring help. Mm-hmm. I feel like the language that we use, 
even though it sounds like you're trying to trick them, uh, you need to use more approachable language. And I can't remember who I was talking with maybe about two months ago. It was, oh, I think a friend of mine, his name's Jack Murray. We were talking about instead of it being breath work and breathe and express, it was, we're going to be doing some, you know, tactical breathing that the Navy SEALs do to stay calm <laughs> in moments of stress, right? Like, I'm, mm-hmm. like just the different articulation of that same concept that same process that will is trying to accomplish the same result which is to calm the nervous system right Mm -hmm. uh changes the men's perspective their approach uh to that exercise no different than we're gonna ventilate all of our anger and and emotions here through exercise opposed to like we're gonna do you know it like really taking the time to utilize tactful language mm-hmm. so that you can have a more open and you know willing to be vulnerable human right opposed to someone that's going to be dealing with that stigma that will exist in some capacity for most people right mm-hmm. and it's really about if we use the proper language uh and we use you know the proper exercises uh, we can have those conversations. It's just, we can't just be like, we're going to be emotional. We're going to be expressive. We're going to do everything we can to uh, to get you to the point where you feel like you can connect with your inner child, where you might cry. Like all these things, which are important processes and, and techniques to to really learn about yourself and grow. Uh, it can't be the, it can't be the, the first foot forward. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's really where, I'm trying to focus my time and energy because I think that that stigma, it exists for me now. Right. And I'm, you know, in this space talking about it a couple of times a week. So I, I, I know that there's parts of the country where, you know, I grew up on Lululemon and and kombucha, right. It's like there's parts of the country (laughs) that, that didn't, didn't have that exposure to that, those different mindsets. And I think it's really just, uh, you know, there's, there's always going to be a new crop of, hyper-masculine alpha football dudes or an alpha high-performance athletes that are going to require uh, someone to have a conversation with them to say it's okay to be who you are. So how do coaches generally react to the type of news like, hey, coach, I'm struggling mentally. I, I don't know what to do. I'm having that trouble with some of my staff right now. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, the whole mental health day and – uh you know, I'm, I'm really tr- leaning more towards like life requires grit, you know, it requires toughness. Uh, and I, I did this Instagram post a couple weeks ago. It was like, life requires toughness, not roughness, right? You don't need to be hard on yourself to the point where you're putting yourself into positions where you're going to have to, you're going to hurt yourself. But sometimes you do need, you do need to endure. You do need to put your shoes on, tie them up tighter and say, you know, I'm going to need to manhandle this day because I'm feeling like crap Mm -hmm. and uh, I must perform. I must show up. And some days it requires you to, to step aside and take a deep breath. And uh, you know, that is something that I know a lot of employers, coaches are noticing that this um, hard work and perseverance uh, gene seems uh, to have missed a lot of these kids. And I I feel like it's a part of the conversation that we've had within society where we've exposed all these young men and women to these 
these conversations around how to take care of themselves to the point where when things do get difficult in training or uh, in preparation for sport, that uh, a lot of them aren't equipped with the tools to endure that. Do you know what I mean? Do you, yeah, yeah, do you get yeah. what I'm kind of saying there? And I yeah. think that's really where this conversation in you know sports psychology and just uh, you know growth and development in, in general is you know there has to be a fine line. You have to have a certain amount of grit to endure and to persevere through these tough times, uh, and also uh, the tools to have those honest and transparent conversations with your friends and family, where you're like, "Yo, I'm just like, I just need a day." You know, like I'm not well right now. Like I just got to take a deep breath here mm-hmm. and step aside and, uh, you know, take some time and go through that, the, the gamut of, of self-care practices to, you know, really uh, ground yourself. Right. And that's mm-hmm. where it's like, no, it's not like, okay, uh, I'm having a tough day. I'm going to go uh, play video games for 14, 14 hours, not sleep, smoke weed, eat crappy food, uh, watch porn X, Y, and Z. It's like, you're not going to feel well if you, do all that stuff right yeah yeah yeah. this is the balance like you have to you have to find that you got to do that juggling act every single day when you wake up in the more in the morning and those routines are really are going to what sets you up for success within that that battle that war within yourself and and that's you know i'm dealing with it you're dealing with it mm-hmm. everyone deals with it in some capacity in some way at some point in their lives and I feel like equipping humans with that, those tools is really where, you know, I'm trying to spend my time. And I think that when it comes to coaches and employers and, and leaders, we're having to deal with that more and more where, you know, we got to figure out a way to equip these, these people with the tools to, uh, to show up and do work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've been through training camps in the CFL. I've been through training camps in college, even high school. I mean, in Canada, there's there's a two a days and it's, you know, it's disgusting. So there's got to be like that fine line between high performance and needing a break, right? Correct. Correct. And, you know, when I started in college football, it was right at the time where they stopped doing three a days and everything, everything wasn't padded practices and they needed to hydrate us. And like, it was actually quite cushy. It was like, okay, this is tough. But I mean, like, you know, I'm like getting water and I'm getting fed and I'm getting breaks and I can physically endure this. Right. And I, I feel like more and more it's become, uh, I mean, now with concussions, like obviously you're not hitting as much and uh, you know, you want to be able to perform on game day as, as we all want to see our best players show up on that day and play. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, that, you know, that two-a-day mentality is, you know, sometimes it's good to to figure out how far you can push yourself, you know? And and I think that's where we and more people could deal with a, a couple of rounds of a two-a-days a year, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What what do you say to someone, not only to someone who's struggling, but what do you say to the loved ones that are watching someone struggle? We just got to continue having the conversations, right? You can't give up on the conversation. Uh, you know, I've, I've had my family reach out to me in, in, in times where I didn't want to talk to them. Uh, and I've had friends of mine and my, my family as well, where I'm trying to reach out to them and they don't want to talk to me because it's just not the time. And, but we keep on coming back to the table and having faith in that relationship and that energy 
uh, and really, are, you know, what you say, you just, you show up. I mean, that's the first part of it. Show up and have uh, an open mind and, uh, and a willingness to meet them where they're at. I don't think it's, it needs to be uh, grandiose steps that make drastic change uh, all the time. Sometimes that sort of, uh, you know, push is required, but, you know, I'm, I'm definitely come from the, I prescribe to the more abrupt approach where sometimes you just need to look your friend in the eye and tell them to, you know, like I said earlier, it's like, you know, clean up your room and get to work. It's time to, you know, fix all this stuff. And I've been through it myself and I'm currently going through it myself. It's every day I got to wake up and, you know, make sure I got all my P's and Q's all dotted and T's and I's and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah. uh, and I, and I really think it's about showing up willing to have the conversation and, and to meet them where they're at. Like I said. Yeah. I feel like today, um, is probably like one of the best days for you and I to be having this discussion because even recently I've been feeling like, like I've been struggling and you know I have my family saying hey are you okay like I have twin nieces that live out in Winnipeg and are texting me you know uncle are you okay and I'm like I'm okay but like I don't want to talk about it right? I just don't want to talk but how do you be rude mm-hmm. to your family and be like hey I love you but leave me alone mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah you know? you know my sister has has said that to us before where it's just she's more of a I'm good I really just don't want to talk about it right now because it's going to bubble up all these emotions I'm already trying to deal with with my therapist or whatever and it's like I'm I'm gonna I'm okay I'm here when you need to talk though right mm-hmm. and then six months go by and she's calling yo what are you what's up what are you doing and I'm like I'm good like you know I'm fine I'm you know I'm I'm processing these things and I'm just going through it and uh but I'm here. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that, again, that, that relationship has, has changed so much for her and I, and, uh, you know, even with my parents, it's like, they'll ring me off the hook until I pick up. I'm like, I'm like, I'm literally in the middle of an event. Like, just give me a break. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm working here or, you know, I'm just going through it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working through something like I'm good. Everything's good. You know? And, and I think just because I've been so expressive about my mental health in the past that they, they are, cognizant of 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 times that it could get worse and i you know i've looked my mom and dad straight in the face and just told them like i'm a i'm a gangster like i am i'm good like i'm i'm i guess my problem is my shoulders my skin i can take so much weight on my shoulders and my my skin is so thick that to other people they might be like oh my gosh and for me i'm like another day let's go right and and so that's really where I think, again, that relationship of honesty really, uh, it matters. And, you know, when it comes to sport and high performance individuals, uh, you know, again, having been in those really pressure cooker environments and, you know, playing in front of, you know, 50, 60,000 people in the Grey Cup games and in college and, and uh, you know, having all these eyes on you. Uh, and really being able to show up and execute and stay healthy and stay locked in. Uh, I feel like I'm just, uh, I'm good to go. You know, I'm, I'm good. Like, let's go. Like, this is easy. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, some, some other people might not think that, and you know, sometimes they're like, bro, you just, you got to take a break, man. It's off season right now. I'm like, all right, all right, all right. Got to 
take a deep breath here, you know? (laughs) So for, you know, for those guys that, you know, they, they say that, you know, I've got the shoulders, I've got the thick skin, but Mm -hmm. maybe that is kind of more of a show because they don't want people to know what are some of the resources that are available for players, whether it's the CFLPA or U sports, CIS, whatever the case may be. Uh, Yeah. What are some of the resources that are out there for these guys? Well, there are so many that have popped up over the last 10 years. And I think uh, right off the bat, there's uh, an organization called the Canadian Men's Health Foundation, which I am a national champion of. They have an online health check. They have all sorts of guides. Um, And then they also, I believe, offer free online mental health support. Uh, There's also this organization called Heads Up Guys out of UBC, headed up by a guy named John Ogradinchuk, and uh, they do free counseling online. And uh, we just did a fundraiser in North Vancouver about maybe two, three months ago. Some guys reached out to me and uh, asked if I wanted to be on a panel. And they ended up, uh, I believe, raising over $100,000, $150,000 for this organization. And it really is just that uh, the catalyst of opening up the conversation is the most important part. Uh, and then you know, pointing them into the direction of these sorts of services are really important. And then, you know, Bell Canada with their mental health campaign from Bell Let's Talk has really supported so many grassroots mental health organizations. So those three spots, I think, are really great spots. Uh, there's also a, an organization, uh, I believe it's an app out of Chilliwack called He Changed It. And it's, a, again, a mental health support online. Uh, you know, and, and that's really, again, that that catalyst point where if you can get in contact with a, a group, an organization or a men's group in your community, uh, you know, that's the first, the best place to start because you can have something that's a real tangible relationship that can break you through that, that first step, which is the most difficult one, which is, Hey, I need help. Uh, I got a problem and uh, I'm looking forward to working through it. And I just don't know how. Uh, and, you know, I've had that conversation with my friends and family and uh, you know, receive support receive support but at the same time it's consistent i need to always seek help and seek support and seek community to uh to i guess uh set myself up for success in that regard so let's talk a bit more here uh, about well men project and how people mm-hmm. can get involved in it because it sounds amazing yeah so uh the woman project was my first company that I founded essentially aimed at empowering men to be men. Uh, We aimed to bring guys into nature to have conversations around their human experience. And uh, we hosted about 30 adventures across the country from Kenora, Ontario, Toronto. Uh, You know, we did it in all over the lower mainland here in Vancouver. And uh, now it really is a, like a, a place for me to share uh, to connect with other men and and we're you know we do probably a couple of events you know smaller events a year uh, but I'm mostly focused on uh, kind of the grassroots conversations and really just opening up that can of worms with you know the men that I come in contact with and uh, you know it really connects me with the Canadian Men's Health Foundation the Bell Let's Talk and uh, it is uh, you know really it's just uh, the the ethos is to get outside, connect with your buddies around an activity, 
and uh, and you know break some bread and uh, make that connection, have some food, so that you can you can really uh, feel comfortable being who you are and and uh, connect with the ideas that do that. How can people get involved, and where can we find the project? Yeah, so if you just uh, if you just follow me on Instagram, typically that's where I uh, am uh, setting up links and all those sorts of things to the events. It's at Shea Emery, S-H-E-A-E-M-R-Y. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's really where we're focusing all of our our efforts. Uh, we're doing about a, 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 an adventure once a quarter here in the Lower Mainland in BC. And, uh, you know, if you're looking for support elsewhere, like I said, I think the best thing would be to reach out to those uh, organizations like He Changed It, Canadian Men's Health Foundation, and... Uh, Bellet's talk to really uh, connect with uh, a local service or a digital service that can support you. Well, Shay, it was a pleasure and an honor to have you on here today. Thank you for having those tough conversations when, you know, a lot of us don't feel like we can, or a lot of us don't know who to turn to. I respect you so much for what you do. And honestly, I thank you for what you're doing. Well, I appreciate what you're doing here and giving a platform to this conversation. Uh, every conversation helps. And if we can connect with one human here and uh, get him to go in the right direction, then uh, we're both winning here. And uh, again, thank you for what you're doing and, and look forward to hearing more. That was our conversation with Shay Emery with the Well Men Project. If you or someone you know is struggling, you're not alone. Uh, you never know who is having a problem, who is struggling, who behind closed doors is really going through anything. So you're not alone. Like Shay said, there's Canadian Men's Health Foundation. There's Heads Up Guys, Bell Let's Talk, He Changed It, or probably a plethora of other ones that you can find in your local region. So... The best thing we can do is just speak up. If you're struggling, say something. And that's really where we're going to leave it this week. As always, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Around the CFL Podcast. And you can find our episodes on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, iHeart, Pandora, Google, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And if you're enjoying the show, please go ahead and leave us a five-star rating. And also, if you are enjoying this episode in particular, please send me a DM and let me know. And again, if anyone's struggling, you can always send me a DM as well. And I'm always here to talk too. Well, that is it for us this week, and we'll see you later.